Welcome, um, welcome everybody. My name is Dave. I'm the uh, the pastor here. And um, if you're new, just a quick, uh, quick, a quick heads up on something. I have a stutter, so it kind of comes in and out. It's not always there, but kind of comes and goes. But just so you know, um, that's all that it is. Um, and um, I, I also want to say, if you weren't here last, in fact, I know none of you were, actually, I see a couple people. Most of the people here last week didn't come back um, this week. So that's cool. So um, no, because the heater was not on. And so if you're cold right now, um, it could be worse. It was much colder last week. I Stutter always, but last um, week was just a perpetual stutter. My chin was chattering, it was freezing. So anyway, um, I'm thankful, though, that we have a, a, a building, that we have a heater, um, and some of those things. And I'm thankful that you're, that you're here. And again, if you're new, just want to encourage you to go to the Connect Desk and um, find out some ways to get involved um, there. And also, I just want to point out that... Um, as a people here, we tow the line because um, like those r- ropes, I see we're like, okay, what's the farthest I can get closest to the ropes without actually, mo- some of you actually, I think maybe even moved them. I'm just, just going to say that because, um, you know, you're just making me work here. You got either side going, but, um, and then a few empty rows here, but it's good to have you here. And um, if you're new to re- Redemption Church. Redemption Church is one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona. So there are six in the Phoenix area, um, a seventh one in Northwest Phoenix being planted next month, and then um, one up in Flagstaff, and then us down here in Tucson. We're about four months old, and um, since we started, I've kind of looked ahead to the day February. Eighth, we're going to start a book series. We're going to be in the book of Mark for like a year and a half. So we're going to be in that for a long time. And I'm really excited for that because we believe that God's word, as um, has been said this morning, is transformational. That we submit ourselves to his word and we're shaped and we're changed by God's word. Actually, on that note, um, if you don't have a Bible today, if you'll go ahead and hold your hand up high and um, keep it up and someone will make sure that you have one. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one. Okay, we want to make sure everybody owns a Bible. So keep this, put your name in it, underline it, um, write question marks, things like that. And one, um, go ahead and keep that if you do have one and just for got it today. Shame on you. Um, no, that's totally fine. It'll be up here on the screen, and you can just leave that one in the back as well. So um, anyway, we submit ourselves to God's Word, and we're about to dive into a book study soon. But um, we've done a number of kind of mini-series um, lately. Um, since we started, we've actually done four mini-series. Um, we spent about four weeks really talking about a subject, and typically um, through the lens of one passage of Scripture. And we're in our last mini-series for the foreseeable future, for, for a long time. But I'm really excited because these, these times have been very shaping for us. Um, and this time in particular, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how we relate to one another as people, right? And we've, we always look through the lens of the story of God from beginning to end, and we, and we need to understand all of Scripture and our own lives in the context of God's Word, of the true story that God reveals through His Word. 
And um, we started and we've looked at the very beginning at how God created us to be. In fact, um, let's just read a passage to kind of be reminded of, of who we are. So we're going to look at the very beginning and then we're going to look as we have just did this last series at the very end in order to prepare us to kind of talk about for the next five weeks right now. Like, what do we do now? So let's look back to the very beginning, God's creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. This just um, reminds us of God's design in creation and who he made you and me to be. It says this, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me just pause there quickly to remind us. God created us with purpose. He instilled in us our identity, individually and corporately, as his image bearers, reflecting him and how we relate with one another and how we live. And then he gave what is called the cultural mandate. So our identity and our Purpose are set in place by God. It says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates us in his image, and then he commissions us to carry out his work. To, to reflect Him and His glory and His character in all that we do in all of life. Okay, that's, that's the beginning. That's God's design. And then we look forward to the end. Look with me in Revelation 21, the passage that Lindsay read. I'll go ahead and just um, pick up in verse 3, where God says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Again, his, his design that we would relate with him and, and bear his image and have perfect union with Almighty God. So, so that's, that's, that's the, the future that God promises that he will usher in. It says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So those are the bookends, right? The beginning, God's plan, His creation, creating us in His image perfectly, our life and our identity and all things set in place as his people. And then the future that he's promised is that one day he will usher in his kingdom once and for all and that we will live as his people, bearing his image in the purpose of God, um, building cities and living life and structures and systems in such a way that all is good and that all reflects him. But so those are the extreme bookends and we spent a lot of time talking about those things. And in the middle... You've got this thing that we call life, that we call real life. And it's been affected and infected by what is called the fall. 
by the fact that we all, hum, humankind, individually and corporately, turned our backs and said, no thanks God, we don't want it your way, we don't want to reflect you, we don't want to live life the way you say we ought to, the way you say um, brings you glory and blesses one another. Instead, we want to live broken. And so what we see is that all of life relationally lived is broken in our city, in our homes, and even in our churches. There's brokenness. And we've spent a lot of time talking about um, God's promise to restore all things. And Jesus, um, fully God, chose to be a man and came to the earth and died in our place in order to restore all that has been stolen. And we don't have time to hash over what we've talked about for the last few months, but in essence, Jesus is the author of the story, and he's the hero. And he swoops in, and he beats up the bully, and he shakes him upside down, and takes back everything that has been taken, and says, I will restore everything that has been broken. And that includes our relationship to God, and that includes systems and structures and all of life and the earth and everything we can imagine will be restored one day in the kingdom that is to come. But something, um, perhaps we've swung the pendulum. You've heard me talk about this. There's a pendulum that's kind of constantly going. I've heard it once said that the, that the job of the, of the preacher um, teaching God's word is to nail the pendulum to the wall. For, for us to be, to be um, sustained and held in place by God's word. And so um, throughout the history of the church, we haven't talked a lot about the future and what is to come and what to anticipate with, with heaven and the new, the new kingdom and all these things. So we've spent a lot of time talking about that. But um, we, we're going to spend these next five weeks talking about relationships. Okay, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about you and me and us together and how we relate with one another. Because um, we, we've, we've also said before that it's like a bad smell, right? If Some of you may have grown up in like an ag town or um, I used to live in Arkansas for f- five years. And there were towns that you drive through and you're like, how do people live here? And they seem to not even no- notice this smell. And we talked about that sin can become like that. The brokenness becomes like a really bad smell that we just accept, so in terms of our human relationships in our city and in our homes and even in our church, we just get used to brokenness. We get used to um, broken relationships amongst people. But, but the good news is that Jesus, when he promises to make all things new, he tells us he's restoring people. He's restoring us relationally in our cities in our homes, and in our church. And so that's what we're going to spend this next series going through. And in the coming weeks, we're going um, gonna, to gonna hunker down in each of those. Okay, so we're going to spend next week, we're going to spend that time looking at city and kind of humanity-wide, how we relate with one another, how it's broken, and how our only hope of restoration is in Jesus. And then we'll spend time talking about the home. And how there's brokenness in homes and our only hope is 
Jesus and his restoration of us as people and then in the church and what that looks like to recognize brokenness and live as restored people. So that's where we'll be. We're going to hunker down. So this week, we're going to do kind of a flyby, kind of a bigger picture. We're going to look at each three to, to prepare us to rightly recognize the stench of sin, the, the brokenness in our relationships with one another. And so just to kind of set us up, I'm going to read a quote um, to, to remind us of the importance of relationship with each other. And this is a man, I, I've, I've uh, talked about him before, Mike Coheen. He's an author and a scholar and a professor, someone I've gotten to actually know and love and learn a lot from. And he says this in one of his books, The Drama of Scripture. He says, we always stand in relationship to one another as well as in relationship to God. None of us can be fully human on our own. We are always in a variety of relationships. Humans are made for God. Genesis chapter 2 focuses more closely on this and the other relationships in which humans live out their lives by virtue of the way God has made the world. And then he says, God expresses his love by providing what is best for the human persons themselves. Adam's rule over the earth is embodied in his naming of the animals. Just as in Genesis 1, God named the creation as he formed it, so here Adam is permitted to name the animals God has made. Adam thus has one relationship to God and another to the animal world. But Adam is also made for human companionship. This is expressed at the deepest level in his relationship of marriage with Eve, a union whose intimacy is captured in the observation that these two individuals become one flesh. So this is to remind us, because a lot of us can get used to and even prefer sometimes a version of Christianity that kind of leaves um, other people out of it, right? We, 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 we prefer a way where we can kind of put on a nice face and show up and do church and do Christian things and keep others um, away from us. But, but, but as we're reminded by Mike Goheen, in every facet of our lives, we are relational people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one, one passage in order to see and recognize our brokenness relationally, our brokenness as people in our city, in our home, in our church, and, and how our only hope is to be restored as God's people, as he designed us to be, and as he promised to one day make in full, that even now, today, in real life, we're called to be the restored people of God in every way. And so, um, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to paint the picture because we're just going to read two verses. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, and we'll have it up on the screen. But let me say first, um, this is a bit of an extreme example. It's kind of crazy. But through it, we see the brokenness in our city, in our homes, in our church. And then um, we're, we're, we're kind of set up to, to, to say, this stinks. This is not the way it should be. Jesus, what will you do to restore us relationally? Okay, so, so that's kind of a disclaimer there. Um, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And some of you might be like, this is the Bible? Yes, it is. And we will continue on. So let's read chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. 
For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And um, I chose this passage because in a very short um, short section, it reveals the brokenness um, relationally in humanity, kind of across the board. So first, um, this section that we just read didn't just happen, right? This isn't a, a random place. It's these people came from somewhere. They came from Corinth. They live in, a, in, a, in an environment, in a city that has a reputation for incredible brokenness and how people relate with one another. In fact, Corinth is um, referred to by um, um, Homer, who wrote you know, Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey, one of the great works historically. So the author of that, Homer, um, when speaking of Corinth, he said, it's a vulgar place where people live out of their wealth and do whatever they want. So he's kind of, it's similar to like a Las Vegas type place where it has a reputation. And he says, it's vulgar, it's broken, people use their money, kind of use one another. The whole society, the whole place is, um, he says, it's vulgar. And, um, and, and then some other people, Plato, you may, may have heard of, the, the philosopher Plato, um, even kind of taking it a step further, when referring to a um, prostitute, or if you will, a woman of ill repute, um, he would say a Corinthian girl. So I don't know of anywhere that bad. Like, we don't say a Las Vegasite or a Las Vegaser or whatever, right? We have other words. But this city was so known for its relational stench that um, people actually referred to prostitutes as a Corinthian girl. Like, that's, that's sad. That's broken. And that's what this city was known for. And then um, taking it even further, another, um, another historian, actually, rather than saying, like, you know, to sleep around or to, or to sow your wild oats or to, or to even engage in fornication, you know, which is sexual intimacy outside of marriage, before marriage, um, he would just say to Corinthianize. Right, even the worst places amongst us, even Tempe, we don't we don't like create verbs to say, you know, oh man, he's going into Tempe right now, right? And just like we don't do that, we could probably for all kinds of things, but but we don't. Um, but but so so this this place has a reputation in their city amongst them, how they interact with one another, and it's actually the case throughout the Bible, the old. Testament, even really early on in Genesis chapter 11, talks about the people trying to create a city. Some of you may have heard of this. They, they build what's called the Tower of Babel, and God calls it a city. And he says, the city that man is trying to build apart from me. So we try to create structures in, in, in kind of bigger relational contexts that are completely absent of God. And there's brokenness, and you see time and time again, there's um, Sodom and Gomorrah, or in Jonah, he's called to go to Nineveh, and these places, these entire cities of people relating with one another are completely broken, are completely apart 
from God in every way. And you see it in the New Testament as well when in Rome or in the book of Philemon it talks about slavery and basically people relating with one another in such broken ways that on a corporate level it's just accepted. Right? And that's real life. That's the world that we live in, is it not? That um, you, 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 all you have to do is open the newspaper, or some of you may have never actually touched a physical newspaper. It's something before um, iPads and iPhones and things like that. But we look at the news, we listen to the news, or we see an Instagram picture, or whatever it is, and we're reminded of brokenness, right? On a global scale, it's like horrible things happen, and it makes you not even want to leave your doorstep. And you see that we need to be restored in our city together as people. But even if we don't want to venture past our doorstep, right, some of us are reminded that sometimes even the greatest hurt and pain happens in the context of the home. So, so we need to be restored in our homes. Okay, I, I, um, again, we'll have whole sermons that will focus on these things, but I want to I recognize for some of us that when we talk about the city and systems and how people relate with one another, it's broken, but it starts to get a little closer to home when we remember that even in our homes, there's incredible brokenness. And our relationships with other humans sometimes happens, um, we're reminded of, of the hurt within the walls of the places that are supposed to bring us comfort and safety and warmth. And that how we relate with each other is not the way it ought to be. It doesn't reflect those passages we read at the beginning, God's design in Genesis and God's promise in the very end. And so even very early on in Genesis chapter 3, let's read there where um, we see how relational disunity and brokenness, even in the home, enters in. How, how families are not the way they should be. Okay, so let's read in God's Word here in Genesis chapter 3. And this is after we turned our backs on God, and God declares the effect of sin and what it will do to us. He says, To the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Just right there, let me pause. Um, Childbirth is painful, even if there's an epidural involved, whatever. I've never done it myself, but I have four kids. I've been a part of it, and um, I know it's painful, right? So we all kind of get that. But, but that's not the way it should be. Like, God, us multiplying and bringing family and life into this world shouldn't involve pain. And it often does on multiple levels, physically, emotionally, um, in all kinds of ways. We see this brokenness. But also, he says, your desire shall be for your husband. We'll get into this um, in a couple of weeks. But well, let me just say, the word there is, uh, is a verb, is a term of contention. Um, your desire, it's the same word used in chapter 4 when one guy is overcome, overcome by sin and his desire to do wrong. It's the same word here as Eve's desire for her husband. It's a desire to rule over him. It's a, it's a, a desire to compete with him and to tear him down. And so you see a contentious relationship and it says, and he shall rule over you. There's brokenness in our homes, and we see this. And then it goes on. 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So that reality of coming home from a job where you're not respected and coming into a house as a man or a woman and entering into a contentious environment... Again, some of us have grown up in generations where we just think that's the way it's supposed to be. We just assume that's the way families are supposed to be. The fact that prenuptial agreements exist, I think, is is evidence of incredible brokenness. It's kind of preparing for divorce. It's saying, um, this probably isn't going to work out or it may not. And um, just in case, let's each protect each other. And then let's live in such a way in our relationship with one another Act like we never signed that. No, we see, I could just go on and on. Is there not brokenness in our homes? And, and let me just pause and say, um, I myself have come from a home in a family where there's a lot of brokenness on all different sides in different ways. And, and, and thankfully, the promise that we looked ahead to, the promise where Jesus says, I will restore all things, we can, we can take that to the bank now and today through surrender to Jesus. There's hope now. So while we need to um, unearth the stench of sin and, and it's uncomfortable and we're going to, we need to kind of get our hands dirty and, and recognize the, the, the brokenness relationally in our city and in our homes, um, I also need to hit the pause button and just say, um, there's always hope in surrender to Jesus who makes all things new. Wherever we come from, whatever circumstance we're in right now, there's, there's hope. And, and Jesus is making all things new. But often we don't want to, um, for lack of a better picture, we don't want to rip the scab off in order for it to heal. But in this time, what we need to do, we need to rip the scab off and call it like it is and say that is broken. It's not going to heal. It's infected. We need to be restored. Where can we be restored? That prepares us to see the only hope of restoration being in Jesus. Okay, so now to get back into the painful process of recognizing brokenness in homes, sadly, Even when we talk about things like human trafficking and um, children being molested and horrible, awful things that happen, we want to think, oh, that's out there, that's in the world or in the city out there. But you know, statistically, there's almost always a connection to someone's home, to someone's broken relationships, that women who work in strip clubs um, most often have been assaulted by a male member in their own home. It shouldn't be that way. There's brokenness in our homes, and we need to recognize that and see that our only hope of restoration is in Jesus. And so now we would like to, I would like to think, as a pastor, well, all that happens in the city and in the in the home maybe, but just come to church. Come find refuge and comfort. It's always easy and it's always relationally healthy in the church. But sadly, that's not the case. Um, pick back up with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Are you arrogant? 
Now he's talking to the church. Okay? Earlier he, he talked about the family in this crazy dysfunctional family where the guy is sleeping with his stepmother. I, I didn't even dive into that actually. I didn't even go there, but that's broken. I just kind of went right to our day today, but that reveals the brokenness in families. And, and Paul goes right forward and says, that, what are you thinking? This is disgusting. And then he turns to the church and he says, are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. See, in this context, what's happening is the church in this vulgar city of Corinth is so used to families being so dysfunctional that um, a, a father, um, a, a son sleeping with his stepmom and, you know... All, with a Corinthian girl and Corinthianizing is just kind of a stench they've gotten used to. And even the church is kind of bragging about it seemingly to other churches. Like, hey, look at, I don't know how they're bragging about it, by the way, and he doesn't really go into that, but somehow they're bragging about this despicable sin, relational brokenness that's going on in their midst. And Paul says, you are the church. Okay, Jesus refers to the church as his bride. And we'll see that theme throughout. But beautiful, spotless, worth laying his life down for. The church is called to be the people of God, being restored together, reflecting God and his relationship with himself. But so often that's not the case. Um, often churches do brag in all kinds of sin, right, like this. I don't know exactly how you would brag about someone sleeping with his stepmom, but um, we sometimes brag about things as like, really, you're proud of that? But, but, but more often than not, I think it's complacency. I think we, we accept and even prefer churches where we hear sermons that don't call us to repentance, that don't call us, and I'm going to keep on using this illustration of ripping the scab off because we just want to sit there in a comfortable place. We want drive-through church where we can order a McMuffin and a side of, you know, um, good feelings and sing songs that, that just build us up and we feel comfortable and we're happy and we all hold hands and then we leave here and we're left for the most part, irrelevant to the world around us. And the gospel and the church is left irrelevant to our real lives. And the gospel, which means good news, the good news that is only found in Jesus, who's restoring all things that are broken, who's restoring us relationally together, too often we settle for and embrace and prefer a church that won't really go there. But God's called us to be his people together, to be honest about the brokenness in our own lives, in our own hearts, to leave us together in the place where only hope can be found in Christ and where we recognize that just painting a little pretty picture that makes us feel comfortable isn't going to suffice. Because in that case, Jesus is just an add-on to our lives. But the reality, look at me, the reality of where you and I are relationally in our city, in our homes, and as a church is that our only hope 
for our identity and our purpose is found in Jesus. But the good news is that we serve a God who has said, I'm not far off, but I'm near. Who has said, together as my people, I've created you so that you may glorify me and that you may bless others. And in that, you will find your greatest joy. That our greatest purpose in life, we just get used to um, functioning in our city and functioning in our home and functioning in our church and functioning with ourselves, thinking, I've got to get my own. I've got to compete with others so I can protect myself and I can make the most of my life. But Jesus calls us and says, no, come before me and I am restoring you individually and together as my people. So in the coming weeks, where we get to be and where we end right now is humbled before God. The the scab is ripped off and we're recognizing the only hope and chance we have of healing, Lord Jesus, is to surrender to you, is to respond to you and your promises. And the hope that we have in him and the confidence that we have as we, as we come together and even now as we respond in worship is that Jesus has promised to make us a restored people in our city, in our home, and as a church. Let's pray. Lord, we do respond to you right now. Um, uh, most likely all of us coming in different places, Lord. For some, hopefully, there's hope. For some, hopefully, there's a sigh of re- relief where we're saying, man, finally, we're going to just call it like it is. We're going to recognize the brokenness in our city, in our relationships with other human beings. We're going to recognize the brokenness in our homes, the place where we should find greatest comfort, the, the gift that is given of God. God gave us families to be comforted and loved and built up and developed and grown, and yet we have chosen to turn away from you, and the result is incredible brokenness, in some cases, horror, and wounds that need healing. And even in our church, sometimes those wounds don't get to be healed because we don't call it like it is, and in turn, we're left not calling out for you, Jesus, because we think it's just the way it's supposed to be, or we think um, that just putting a little Band-Aid on it and consuming more things that feel good will heal us. But we know the only place of healing comes by responding to you, Lord Jesus, who went to the cross for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that even as we talk about being restored as a people, that only comes because you experience brokenness. Lord, because you experienced broken relationship from your Father as you hung on the cross, carrying our sin, you said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Lord, some of us have experienced that kind of relational brokenness. We all have in some way. And thank you that our only hope, Lord Jesus, is in you. I pray that you will form us as a people, that you will make us be effective in our city, and that you will transform our homes as we respond to your restorative work. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.